This is the 14th episode of the No Degree Podcast. This is your host, Janayat Iqbal, and today's guest is Dylan Ali. Dylan has been in enterprise sales, and even though we have only known each other for a short period of time, I know we will become amazing friends who travel on a journey together. Dylan has an amazing story and has succeeded with his unique look in his industry. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash no degree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show is impossible without you. Let's get the show started. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today, I have a special guest, Dylan Ali. Introduce yourself to the guest, Dylan. Junai, thanks so much for having me on, man. It is a uh, sincere pleasure to be here today. So quick, uh, high level, 46-year-old, married. We have an eight-year-old. I play those roles every single day. I also play the role of corporate citizen. And so that's really kind of what we're here to talk about today. So I'm a BDM for HPE, HP Enterprise. So the product set that I represent on a day-to-day basis is all data center, right? And I'm responsible for about $65 million in revenue in all of the partner community that I work with. So in a nutshell, just a corporate citizen, father, father, husband, all around loving human being, brother. You mentioned BDM. What does BDM stand for? Yeah, so it's business development manager. So even more specifically, I'm a CDM, channel development manager. So really, I'm helping to develop business specifically in our channel. You know, in the social world, think of affiliate marketing, right? All of the affiliate marketers that represent a product I am the liaison between that company and the affiliate marketer. I help come out with the business strategies. I help us, you know, keep numbers on track. Also do a lot of tactical things like remove barriers, right? So help my sales guys get from cradle to grave, help on the back end, things like that. But really what it boils down to is simply just creating connections, creating relationships. And it's just a thing that I'm good at. What's the typical salary like for someone in your position? What's the range? That you would say that you yeah, realistic yeah. So ranges. Realistic ranges on a, on a role like this is probably I'd say right around the two hundred range. You have a wonderful position. How do you sort of what led up to this? So I know you mentioned that you went to college. So what was that like, and why'd you go? And you know, sort of why'd you leave after that? Absolutely, man. I go back to high school, and I was always like in honors classes, things like that. Um, no idea how that happened, but it just happened, right? So I figured I'm a pretty intelligent guy, and so. Everyone around me, their path was go to college, right? And most of the kids in my class, you know, cognitive psychology says that we become our environment, right? So most of the kids in my class, their parents were doctors, lawyers, you know, they, they were all from very white collar type families. And I came from a very blue collar family. And so for me, I thought that's just what you had to do. And back then, I really didn't have a mind that says I want to do business or anything like that. I came up with this thing that male nurses right? Nurses I knew made about 60 grand a year. And if you're a male in that profession, you're in high demand. I enrolled in college and started um, towards an RN degree. And my one of my first classes was AMP, Anatomy and Physiology 101. Back then, I was a serious meathead. So I knew all the muscles, right? So I was like, man, I can go ace this thing. And so sure enough, I get through the first test without studying or anything like that and just crushed it. Then we get to the skeletal system. We get to the... Uh, we get to the muscular system or the skeletal system and the nervous system, and I failed just fast. I quickly realized that college just wasn't for me, man. In that, I was trying to search and figure out what I wanted to do, and I wanted to go into law enforcement. I thought, again, I'm pretty lazy. So I was trying to think, what's the most bang for my buck, right? It wasn't like I had this passion for serving people or anything like that. So I went to work in the prison system. 
I was a prison guard for about two years. And throughout this journey, I quickly realized that Mike Tyson was the only one getting paid enough to fight all the time because it was a very physical experience for me. I think in two years, I had something like 12 use of forces. So long story short, through some adversity, there was an opportunity for me to go to work in sales. But man, I got kicked in the teeth the first go around because at the time it was my ex-wife, but my girlfriend at the time, we had an opportunity to go to work in sales for a buddy that just got his own store within a company down in Beaumont, Texas, where I grew up. So long story short, I'm thinking, awesome, man, I'm going to make money. These guys are really influential. I really look up to them. I get in, crush the interview, and then I get crushed by the interview because the DM says, he says, man, um, you're just not cut out for sales, but I can offer you a job for 12 bucks an hour as a porter in the warehouse. And my ego was just shot, man, because here I'd left the prison. You know, I had these big hopes of driving Benzos and gold pinky rings and all that, right? The kick in the teeth is my girlfriend got the job as a salesperson. So now we moved to go take this job. And my buddy, who is to this day one of my nearest and dearest friends, a guy named Andrew Vandegrift, he he was like, look, dude, just do it. He goes, man, six months in the warehouse, I'll get you in sales. You'll know all the product. You'll be better than everyone else, blah, blah, blah. He sold it and I bought it. So we moved, I tucked my tail, swallowed my pride, and I was a warehouse guy. And I let that chip just sit and sit and sit. And in six months, I had my shot at being a sales guy. And like that, man, literally out the gate, I was one of the number one sales guys. And I also had something to prove. And I also felt like I was coming from behind. So when everyone else was like hanging up at five o'clock, man, I was going until the store closed. And so I got into this cycle of like literally 12 hour days, just back to back to back. And I remember the first month that I hit 10 grand, like I had this goal of making $10,000 and it was December. The only day that I took off was the day Christmas. The day of Christmas was the only day I took off. New Year's, New, I mean, Christmas Eve, literally I worked up till like eight or nine o'clock. The day after Christmas, when the stores are open at like 6 a.m., I was there all the way into New Year's. And it was my first taste of what I considered quote unquote success because that was a number that I'd been chasing. Um, man, and the rest from there is history, right? So I moved out of selling appliances and electronics, embarked on this journey of moving to Austin, Texas. And someone, a guy named Mike Malpa, after all these years, he said, man, you should just go to work at Dell. He goes, even the janitor at Dell is a millionaire. So I'm young, I'm stupid. I'm like, you know, have no limitations at this point. So I go, okay, I'm going to go to work. To, I'm going to move to Austin. I'm going to go to work for Dell. And literally six months later, May 10th, 1998, I was walking into the doors of the IT giant at Dell. And I literally started at a, an OTE or a TTC, target total comp or on target earnings of $32,000 a year. And that journey in itself took a lot, right? Because here I am, literally what I perceived to be not coming from a background of everyone else around me, because most everyone around me were kind of Austin bred and raised. So they grew up on the lake. They grew up with Austin culture. I grew up in a small town in Southeast Texas, right? So didn't have a college degree. I was so embarrassed by it and literally just at every turn, try to like push that conversation to the side. I remember planting some seeds and I remember like setting some goals, but then I remember also capping those goals and thinking, oh, I can only get so far because I don't have a degree. And as my journey continued on through the years, which led me here, 
I've slowly removed those caps and removed those ceilings. And I have, I started off with 32, right? I literally have had years where I W2 10X that. Wow, that's crazy. You mentioned you were the number one salesperson in that warehouse. Other than the long days, right? Because you obviously worked hard. What were some other things that sort of made you that number one salesperson? Man, I remember, you know, being 18 years old, rolling around in my Mustang 5.0 with two 12s in the back and no joke, bumping not only Vanilla Ice and Millie Vanilli, but the Tony Robbins Personal Power Series. And so for me, I recognized that school wasn't a thing for me. I just did not have a knack of sitting in a class and listening to a what I perceived as a born ass professor, right? Like I had to get going and I had to be doing things. There was a guy named Dan Poole who was the COO of a restaurant that I worked at. And this dude like modeled Tony Robbins to the T. I mean, no joke. Like after I finally like saw video footage of Tony Robbins and like was able to have a visual concept of him. I was like, man, this dude just had it down. And he literally was a guy that turned me on to personal development. And what I recognize is that in that industry, there's a lot of very successful people that don't have a college degree that literally just start off as bus boys and bus girls and work their way up. And he was kind of one of those guys that really planted a seed that you can have success without having that college degree. And so I threw myself into personal development. I still love some of those things that I learned early, right? Can I? C-A-N-I, constant, never-ending improvement, right? Short-term pain is long-term pleasure. And so I just applied a lot of those philosophies. And what I didn't know back then is that truly one of my gifts was the ability to connect with people in the way and the ability to articulate and just engage with people. And that... I've been nurturing since those days and just a combination of having a desire to be somewhere else other than where I was. Napoleon Hill says it best. You literally have to have a desire that's stronger to be somewhere else other than where you are today and back it with an emotion. And the magic is in the emotion. And back then, that emotion for me was anger, fear, resentment, all of those negative feelings and emotions bottled up. But it was, it was strong enough fuel to push me. So the old work harder, not smarter. I had a philosophy back then. In the beginning, you work harder, not smarter. And when you get smart, you work harder and smarter. So literally, it was a combination of using that time, recognizing that that kick in the teeth really was the thing that allowed me to propel above everyone else. Spending six months knowing model numbers, knowing where to find stuff in the system, working with delivery and logistics and marketing and all the back end gave me the competitive advantage. So I really started to recognize those things. And I knew that while someone was interrupting a sales flow to go back to a computer or go call a warehouse, I knew where to find that information and my sales flows would go faster. So not only could I create a sales flow from cradle to grave, which had a high probability of closing because of my soft skills and a combination of my hard skills, but I could do it faster. And now you had a little competitive streak and a little deviant mischief in there. And man, I was like beating guys to phone calls and beating guys to ups and things like that, right? So your 12-hour days were there 18 or 20-hour days, right? They would need to do like twice the amount of work to get the same amount of sales. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Okay. So you mentioned that that first time it was like 32K, right? That was your on-target earning. What Do you mind sharing how much you ended up making that first year? Even a little bit more backstory there. So entering Dell, the IT world at 32K in what, 1998, 
mid-20s, right? So I was born in 73. I was already a couple years ahead of everyone else. So that kind of put me off edge too a little bit, right? But coming from that background of selling appliances and electronics, I was leaving that 60 to 70K a year. In between that and walking to, and walking into Dell, there was a little blip of being a recruiter that paid me 25 grand a year. So I literally had to swallow that pill. But I had this vision of what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be. And I literally said, okay, I'll take the job as a recruiter for 25 grand. How long till I get promoted into a salesperson? So they say, well, it typically takes a year. I said, okay, awesome. Let's do it. I said to myself, I'm going to do it in six months or I'm out. So literally it was 25K to six figures in a year is what the track was. Six months, no go, right? Not happening. So I made that conscious split. And literally, I remember picking up the newspaper. Back then, it was newspapers, right? Looking at the job, one ads. And that's how I was prospecting. And I saw that job that Dell was having a job fair. And my thought pattern was go and try to like literally get those guys to source those jobs through me. What ended up happening was I sat down with a manager. And a week later, they were calling me and offering me a job. I held true to that vision. And I think that's been probably one of the things that have led to my success. And even more so now is that I'm aware of that vision and being intentional, right? Like literally said, I'm going to Austin. I'm going to work at Dell. I've yet to hit the millionaire status, but hey, two out of three is not bad, right? That allowed me to get into that position where I saw the potential. I saw the potential of being able to go from 32 to whatever. And actually, I even came in a little bit above. A lot of people came in at like 28, So because of my little bit of experience, you know, I had a little bit of bump coming into it. There's something I hear about in these types of jobs. There's something called a draw. What is a draw? The draw is you show up, you sell all you can. And if you don't sell enough of margin to cover any, to to get paid out, we're going to pay you a draw. And in that case, back then it was $1,500 a month. If I sold enough to only make 500 bucks a month, the company pays me $1,500. But next month, I'm starting in arrears by owing them the $1,000. So your draw is just to kind of keep you afloat. Your draw is just to kind of keep you going. The difference in draw and base is base that's guaranteed. Like I wake up this morning and doesn't matter what I do today, I'm getting this base. The draw, I have to work up to it. If I don't, then I, I'm in a payback situation. Who have you seen? You know, you did really well. Who have you seen? That has not done well. Because people here are like, oh, you know, I see a lot of people who are like, yeah, I want to go. I'm going to make 200K, you know, being a salesperson. Who have you seen? They come in and it's like, look, it's probably not going to work for you, whether it's because they're not working or a personality fit. Who have you seen sort of struggle in these types of positions? A lot of people, man. A lot of people. And, and here's the reality of it. I recognize that I'm in a, an amazing position. I recognize that I'm very blessed. Just like in business, you've got 80% of your business is going to come from 20% of your people. There's a 20% of folks that do really, really well, offer the same package, offer the same culture, offer the same type of territory and potential, but yet they fall on your face. And so we see it all the time. And as a matter of fact, I've also known many successful people that are continuously failing, continuously falling in because they're chasing and chasing. And I think what it comes down to is if you're not willing to put in the time, because sales is transactional. Even in a position that I'm in today where it's more strategic, it's still transactional because if I'm not in front of my customers, if I'm not at events, if I'm not getting that social exposure, if you will, I'm not going to be front of mind. I think it's the people that are just not willing to 
to think outside the box, the ones that are not willing to remove the limits that they've artificially put on themselves or accepted from others, and simply the ones that are just not willing to accept change or growth. Yeah, right. You started at a certain point, but how have you continuously grown? Because yes, you started, you were the number one sales, but how do you keep that? Because sometimes people start off and they just goes down after that or they can't maintain it. Yes. Desire, evolution, awareness. For me, it started off with, I think it's Jim Rohn that says it best, right? The best time to build something is after it's complete. So you have to see it. And I knew, like for me, me seeing it, my avatar was Michael Douglas in Wall Street, the old school one, power suit, power tie. Like I knew that's where I wanted to go regardless. Didn't know how I was going to get there. But every time that something presented itself as an opportunity, I saw one step further. So moving from appliance sales and electronics into recruiting kind of got me into that corporate environment. And then moving from that into Dell was like serious corporate environment. So I could start seeing it unfolding. And once I got in, it was, it was a combination of being bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, mid-20s dude, right? It's a combination of um, growing up and not having money or a lot of material things and being you know, constantly reminded that I didn't have those things, right? So once I got a little taste of the money and the success, man, I got thirsty, right? I just wanted more and more. And I can see the path to it because... Every time I was in an environment that I got introduced to more successful people, I started recognizing that most of them looked, acted, and felt the same, right? They all had similar lifestyles, similar cars. They looked a certain way. They spoke a certain way. They did things a certain way. So I literally just started getting basic 101, started modeling, started finding people that I thought were successful, and started modeling myself after those. Now, I picked up a lot of great habits and traits, but I also picked up a lot of their bad habits and traits, which fed my own insecurity. So for me, it was just this constant battle of always moving forward, but two steps backwards, right? And I just had a certain amount of grit and discipline. I remember one time a really good friend of mine, he was lobbying for me to get a position. And the way he described me was dialing is a grinder. He's not the guy that's going to bring in the million dollar deals every day. He's not the guy that's going to be the flashiest and the brightest and the, the most exciting, but he is just a grinder. Like he will bring in, you know, if, if everyone's bringing in a million dollar deals like once a month, right? He is literally bringing in, you know, a hundred K, 200 K, 50 K, 60 K, just grinding, grinding, grinding. And I was so married to that because it had, it had fed the ego that said, Hey, now you're special. Now you stand out. A lot of my success in getting from entry-level sales, moving through the ranks and moving into a place where, you know, I'm responsible for a big number, a big territory. Uh, my job is quote unquote important. A lot of that was ego-driven, right? It is seeing what everyone else around me had and saying, I want that, I want that, I want that. I mean, having such a desire, it's funny because I, I often say that when I was a little kid, I kind of made a vow to myself that I did not want to be a short, fat, brown kid anymore. Short, fat, corn, brown. So genetics took care of the short and fat, working out took care of that, right? Couldn't do anything about being brown, but I sure as hell wasn't going to be poor anymore. And I sure as hell was never going to be in a position where everyone else around me had things and I didn't. That was a fuel and desire. And those insecurities provided enough emotional attachment behind it to really just propel me into that quote-unquote material success. 
Nice, nice. So you mentioned that the people, they had good habits. Can you expand on those good habits? Absolutely, man. Stephen Covey, right? The um, seven seven habits of highly successful people, right? Those are the things like the, like who moved my, the book, who moved my cheese, right? Like recognizing habits of there are things going on around me that I can't control, but I can control the outcome and how I respond to it, right? Like literally waking up and setting the tone. I Habits like guys would come in the office at, you know, six or seven in the morning and bang out 20, 30 calls, not expecting to get anyone, but essentially building the pipeline of callbacks for the day. First thing in the morning when your target customer gets in and they check voicemail, because that's what we did back then. We checked voicemail, right? It's last in, first out. So if Dylan called at seven o'clock this morning and you walk in at 701, you're going to get the last one, right? And same thing, picking up habits of doing the same thing at the end of the day. Just learning little tips and tricks and habits like that, right? Learning habits of goal setting, the importance of goal setting. I can think back, back into my early mid twenties. If I could ever go find them, I have notebooks of just goals, goals that I've written down. And there's some stats out there that says that it's something only like two or 3% of people that have goals write them down. And literally there's only like 5% of those people that actually hit those goals. So those things that I started living turning into habits, I wasn't realizing it at the time because habits are simply the things that we repeatedly do, right? And if we do them enough, and especially if we bake enough an emotional tie to it, they just become a part of that subconscious programming. So just hearing people on the phone, looking at people in the way that they navigated the halls of corporate America, seeing some of the good and the bad, right? Because literally seeing someone like laugh and joke with someone, but then just go smashing behind their back. But that person had a title and had a W-2. So guess what? I learned to do the same thing. I learned to beat competition by smashing them. Versus today, in my book, there's no such thing as competition. I believe every one of us can hit our numbers. We can all eat. We can all celebrate. And there's still enough to go around for everyone. I never, never shy away from competition. As a matter of fact, I don't even feed the word. But back then, I was so competitive because I was so insecure and I literally judged myself and everyone else around me, which led me to set false expectations, which led me to have comparison. Now, you mentioned the good habits. What were some of the bad habits that sort of that you would advise people in this industry to sort of avoid? Because sometimes, you know, avoiding the bad habits can sort of can really help your growth. One of the bad habits that I would say is get out of the expectation that anyone owes you anything. There are folks in, in my industry that do what I do, that habits are like taking advantage, like everyone feels like someone else is trying to one up on them, right? So there are people that literally do things like will take their wives out or their husbands out on a date and expense it on their company credit card. Why? Because their quota was too high or they got shafted on a deal or they got hosed on, uh, on, on accounts or something like that. I would say one of the bad habits that I would warn people of is not taking things personal. Like legitimately when your CEO wakes up in the morning, they're not like thinking first thing, how can I screw Dylan today? So whatever falls down the trickle ladder from corporate and it gets you, whatever that looks like, don't take it personal. Don't assume anything. And therefore I think those will offset some of those bad habits. So I see people taking advantage of things like, you know, corporate cars, corporate expense accounts, literally bashing people to lift themselves, literally fudging the numbers, right? To make sure that at the end of the day, everything looks like it's up and up. I think that 
more than anything, it's making peace with those fears and those insecurities when it comes to habits. It's if you can calm those, then those bad habits seem to just dissipate. Okay. I know that at one point you were embarrassed about not having the degree. When do you feel more comfortable? When do you get to a point or can you share any stories relating to that? Let me think if I can get the timing right. So probably 2008 timeframe, I was an outside account executive and my wife was working for Dell at the same time. We were both at Dell and there were some rifts, reduction in, in force, right? Reduction in workforce going on. And she got, she got rift from the position she was in, but she had an opportunity to find another job. So long story short, we were living in Oklahoma City and we moved back to Texas, back to Austin, Texas. And so now I went from living in my territory to traveling back into my territory. So a few months later, second amount of rift or second rifts come up. And so I actually had an opportunity to leave the company and take a package or I could take an inside job. I literally went back from being outside to just, just being back as an inside rep on the phone. It's kind of like this, right? Headphones, you're in front of your computer screen all day and you're typing. Bring me back on track. What was the original question, man? You don't have the degree. And sometimes you, you mentioned that you were embarrassed about it. When did you get to a point where like, screw that. I'm competing with these guys. I'm blowing these guys out the water. I know what I bring to the table and it doesn't matter. Yeah, absolutely. I've gone back inside. So now ego was in full control. And I was like, man, how can they do this to me? Blah, blah, blah. I've been the big shot all along. And now I'm just like back in the trenches, right? So I was just getting beat up. So I started to look for a new job. I remember Oracle had a new team they were spinning up and it was for a group to sell middleware. And so middleware is just kind of the, the plugin that sits between you and the app, if you will, right? I remember going and interviewing. And at the time, my on-target earning was 105. At that time, I remember I had this, my goal for whatever reason at the time was 125. I was like, okay, man, now I'm, I'm grateful I have this job, but I also need to make more money. Went in and interviewed with him. So the night before, I remember like YouTubing it, getting my presentation together, and I just killed it in front of the room. I had a regional director and two managers. After everything went really, really well, I got all the buying signals, everything was going great. He looks at me and he says, I noticed you don't have a college degree. Did you forget that or did you not go to college? And I remember that moment, like having that lump in my throat. I was like, you know what? No, I don't have a college degree. I started to go down the college route and this was my experience, but it just didn't work for me. So I made a decision to get into the workforce and just work, 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 throw myself into it. So my college was all of the education within my industry, all of the hours within my industry, just pure grit. I said, but the reality is, is everyone else that you've interviewed that has a college degree, I am standing in the same spot as them today. So I don't see it as a problem, do you? And he kind of stopped for a second and he was like, nope. And literally within a week, they called me back to give me an offer and the offer was for 125. I think that was the thing that allowed me to recognize that okay, maybe you don't have to be as ashamed of it. Maybe you don't have to think of it as such an anchor because these guys are literally willing to give you 125 grand, the money that you've literally been putting it out there and that you want. I politely declined because I just knew that, okay, this is not a factor on me anymore. And I remember being so confident in that and sharing that story with other peers within the corporate space and I even remember having managers tell me, 
You probably don't want to bark too loud about this whole not having a degree thing. You probably don't want to lead the conversation with that. Yeah, if it comes up, talk through it, but you probably don't want to like spread the gospel that you don't have a college degree. And even then it played a little bit of, um, little bit of a factor in keeping my silence about it. Right. But then as I just kept building confidence in myself and, and actually even more so in the last few years, since I've really, really gotten to the point where I know who I am and I know the value that I bring and I know my gifts that I've been very, very comfortable and confident because I know what I've built. But even more, I know that the sky literally is the limit on what it is I have the ability to create degree or no degree. Nice, nice. Thank you for sharing that story because I see a lot of people and in sales, it's like the things you learn in sales, you just literally cannot learn in the classroom. You don't call, I don't know, you don't make 300 calls for your college class and get a bunch of no's. You don't get that. And there's so many other things. You don't deal with the the packaging and all that. You've been in sales like 20 years. How has sales changed? Because I know back then, they don't, you know, the CRMs and all these other systems that assist you that sort of make things easier are there and you know things have changed before email wasn't as big right the phone was everything now things are moving away from the phone and so many things have changed so what would you say has has changed in sales in the past 20 years the biggest thing is the presence of the internet i was selling in a store brick and mortar when the dot com started to come about so working for a local company that was electronics and appliances, I competed with the likes of Best Buy, Circuit City, Sears, right? The big brands. And when the internet kind of came along, just to give you an idea, right? So this is when I'm talking the first flat screen TVs came out and they were plasma screens and they were like 15K. Not 15K resolution, 15 grand. They were huge. And I remember around that time, for whatever reason, you know, they kind of go hand in hand. When those came out, that's when the dot-com thing kind of started coming about. So people would literally come into the store with a printout sheet of paper of a washer and dryer over at Best Buy that's offering free delivery and $50 less. How has it changed? Consumers have become way more intelligent. Consumers have become way more self-serving, meaning that just like when those customers would come in with that printout about the washer and dryer, today, a customer that walks into that store can tell you the model number, can tell you where it was manufactured, can tell you the date of manufacture, right? can tell you everything inside and out. Fast forward to how that translates to me. Yesterday, in my world, I would show up and I would I would tell you all about speeds and feeds, and I would tell you about how this gigabyte and this cache and this memory and, and all of these and what these things do. Today, customers know that. Even taking that at a higher level from just business development, I no longer have to sit down and try to convince you of how amazing my product is because the reality is, is you already know it and you probably already know my product better than I do. You want my product is the reason you're sitting with me. So let's get that out of the way. You want to spend money. I need to get you to spend money with me. So we already have mutual energy there. So how it's changed is that I think with the explosion of data, the explosion of information, consumers are way more intelligent, much more educated. So selling today, it truly is back to that old telling is not selling. It's not about me convincing you of speeds and feeds. It's no longer objection resolution about the product or the service. It is how we connect. And, and even when you look at my genre, the boomers and the Xers, right? We psychologically, we were brought up differently than Gen Z and millennials. 
right? So even today in the marketplace, by the end of next year, 58% of my customers, of my peers, are going to be millennials and Gen Z. So that means that I need to sell more under the buzzwords of collaboration, of team environments, right? I need to talk more about um, global awareness. I need to talk more about diversity. I need to talk more about things that matter outside of the product versus yesterday when I was talking to the boomers and the Gen Xers, it was all about the product and bottom line and how much money we can save. So today it becomes more connection-based selling is the way I look at it. Yesterday it was more product-based selling. Okay, cool. So someone sort of entering in has to think more of the connection, have more of the emotional intelligence. What would you recommend someone going in? Like someone's young and they're, let's say maybe they're like 18 or they're considering kids in high school. What would you tell them to really focus on so that when they start, that they can be one of the best salesmen, even though they're at 32K OTE, at 32K, they're blowing it out the water. So life is so cyclical, right? I would, I would tell them literally, go sit down on the front porch with your grandpa and just talk to him because the old man is always talking, you know, back in the day, you know, bread was five cents a loaf and we talked to people and this and that and the other. And think about it. When you look at the world today, we are wanting more connection. We are connection deprived. As a matter of fact, when you look at mental illness and a lot of the things that we deal with as a society, much of it is because we lack that connection. So I would literally say, Go spend some time with your grandpa and learn how to talk to people. Because at the end of the day, there are so many products out there that your product is just one of many widgets. The difference between you and your competitor is you. Dale Carnegie 101, building the no like trust factor. You don't do that by talking about product. You do that by building connection. Literally 70% of the time when people buy, it's because of you or the price. And 70% of that is because of you. So spending time with your grandpa on a rocking chair, learning how to communicate with people, learning how to allow people to speak and you listen, um, that's part of connection. So I would say, yes, you can go read all the sales books. You can go take all the courses. You can have mentors. But the number one thing that I would say is invest time in you and recognize who you are. Because yes, you can be a Gary Vee, you can be a Grand Cardone and 10X everything. And yeah, it may work for you, but eventually you will hit a wall because there's only one Gary Vee, there's only one Grand, Grand, Grand Cardone. And while those frameworks may work, what we forget is that not only do we pick up the frameworks of the people that we are mentoring or, or learning from, but we pick up their lifestyles. And so at the end of the day, you know, if you've got a family, you might be young, but maybe you have a family of five your cadence is not going to be the same as the guy over here that's single and has more time and more resources to invest. So I would say start with you. Anyone starting out, go all in on you. Learn who you are. Learn what your talents are. Learn what your strengths are. And yes, take bits and pieces from the folks around you, but go all in on learning you because the more confident that you are with you, the more confident other people will be with you. And we're simply all mirrors. I have this saying, like I kind of think of it as energetic selling. There are even times when I get into a meeting and I get into a room and I'll just say, hey guys, listen, man, it's been a little bit of a crazy day. I'm going to take a second to just breathe and just find the present moment. So the next 45 minutes, we can get the most out of this time. You guys can join me if you'd like. And now I'm going, right? So now I'm coming from dialing. 
I'm not coming from an avatar that is just a, a fast talk and a move and a shake and just get them to the water, right? Because the reality is, it's every client needs to drink the water. Our job is just to get them to the water. I think that's probably one of the biggest things. It's just investing yourself. The other stuff is just going to come by osmosis. Like you're going to talk about the product so much that you'll run the product. The reality is, it's 99% of your customers, you're having the same dialogue. If you are having the same dialogue, that means your competitors are having the same dialogue. But if you're connected to who you are and you have faith and trust in your ability to communicate on a different level, then now that is the competitive differentiator. You're still talking the same speeds and feeds. You may be off a couple bucks here and there um, off from your competitor, but really the thing that's going to make you successful is you knowing you and finding that flow. Because guess what? Maybe you're good at cranking out 100 calls a day, working 10 hours a day, but maybe you're even better by working six hours a day. So you've got to find your flow. I think that's the number one thing after all these years is going back to find out who you are and build from there. You don't have the traditional look of a salesman. You are uniquely the only salesman with the beard this big. Right. You got the hand tattoos. Did you always have that? And how do you work with that? Because sometimes people, right, I'm pretty sure they're like, oh, you need to be clean shaven. You need to have a certain look. What's your take on that? Part of it is, is, is the, the world today. I mean, the reality is, is we are a lot more open minded in today's world because of that. Even corporate culture has become a little bit more relaxed. Right. But I remember back early in my career. I had this just ambition to just be me, right? And, and I was struggling with me versus the corporate mold. And a buddy of mine said to me, if you don't change the way you look, you'll never go far in your career. And back then I was blue jeans, flip flops, t-shirts. And there might've been a time or two where I literally show up to work in like an NBA headband. I was a complete chotch, but I was hell bent on being the chotch that I was and being successful at the same time. I sold out and I started dressing in the pleated khaki pants and blue, light blue button down corporate executive look. And it just wasn't me, but the titles came and the money came and the recognition came, kind of fell into that. The more successful I felt, the less successful I felt, if that makes sense. I got to a point where I was like, man, you know what? This whole making money thing really isn't that hard. Like I can do it. So, you know, then I kind of loosened up the collar a little bit, right? And then maybe showed up in jeans one day a little bit. And so like today, it's not abnormal for guys to be in a blazer, blue jeans and some nice dress shoes, right? Like that's very normal. So I kind of started doing that a little bit and not that I'm a trendsetter, but I really think I'm the one that started it. No, I think right? so too. Yeah, I, I think that you. beard, Thank you're you. the only salesperson with that beard. So when the beard come? Well, and that's the thing. So it, it really was an evolution. And so as I grew in my own confidence and, and really recognizing that I'm comfortable with me, then I would grow the beard out a little bit and like, like you know, have it down in there and just play with it. And people were like, okay, dialing's a little out there anyway. So it's not that big of a deal. And then I remember putting these on like two years ago. I had a uh, profound spiritual experience with my coach at the time. And, and we did some deep, deep work and I was able to let go of a lot of anger, which was the thing that was holding me back. These tattoos are representative of that journey. I remember sketching them up. It was January two years ago. I showed it to my wife and I said, Hey, Tuesday or whatever day it was, I'm going down to go get these on. And she looked at me. She goes, D hand tattoos. And I said, Oh shit. Yeah. Corporate America, that whole thing. 
But at that point, I had made the decision because they were so important to me. And have I been in meetings where people are a little put off by it? People are like, I can tell that their wheels are turning. Absolutely. And I actually love that because I recognize they use eye candy to my advantage, right? So I'm a hand talker anyway. In meetings a lot, I intentionally do it because I want to draw attention to it. Because I'm looking at your hands right now. Yes, right? Right? And, and I can see it. I can see it. And I'm just waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And especially if it's someone that's a little bit uptight and stiff and, you know, we just can't break that wall, right? And I can see the judgment going on. But I also have empathy and I recognize that, that that judgment is simply a reflection of themselves. So I see it as an opportunity to connect deeper. So sure enough, I'll always have someone go, what's the deal with those hand tattoos? And I'll go, oh, man. I go, the ant in the shamanic world is the symbolism of dedication, teamwork, perseverance. It's collaboration. It's patience. I go, so the ant is there to remind me. And the heart is simply, simply representation of unconditional love for myself and others. And the eye, well, that just represents my soul looking back at me. So I know in any moment when I'm not being true to myself and having unconditional love for myself and others, which means that I don't judge, I don't expect, and I don't compare, I'm reminded by it. The reason I put them on my hands is because so many times we put our hands together and we look to God and we pray, right? God, give me this. God, give me that. God, give me the strength. But we forgot that God has given me the hands to do the work and heart to love myself unconditionally. Man, I love that. That's deep. It is. But, it, you know, it is a fucking hook, line, and yeah, sinker, right? Dude, because, you got me. You're not even selling right. me anything. I'm like, what? yo, where's my wallet? Yes, right? So what I learned is that the things that I wanted to hide about myself so much are actually the things that make me strong. Because the beard, you know, I'd play with it and let it go. And then it started getting a little traction. And I'm like, I really dig the beard and I like it. And so literally, I just kind of let it go, let it go. And it just became a little bit more and more of my norm. Like, I don't try to conform to the norm. I literally have so much faith and confidence in who I am that eventually I will become the norm. And so I literally just was like, okay, I'm showing the hand tattoos. And I even remember making, you know, making the conscious decision uh, like a year ago to a year and a half ago to re-pierce my ears. And this job that I'm in today, the manager that interviewed me for it, great story. We sat down and we literally had like an hour max. So we sat down and it was kind of this power lunch. And I literally show up dressed kind of like this. I got the beard. I've got the earrings. I've got the hand tattoos. And we have this great conversation. Absolutely great conversation. And a week later, he calls me back and he says, hey, I'm going to offer you the job, but I need you to jump online and apply for it and hit the wreck. And that was really, really a, a strong defining moment for me as well, because it really validated that, dude, you are dialing in all of its glory. Like you're letting your freak flag slide. Like you're not holding back. And this guy that you've never met before inside of an hour has made a decision um, to bring you on and that you are a value asset to the team. Since then, man, I have literally not held back. I am who I am. I know my value that I bring. And I recognize that this, it's no different than a vehicle that we own. Like I want to change the color, I, I paint it. I want to soup the engine up, I do that. I want to change wheels, I want to tint, whatever it is. Like this is just a play. The thing is, is that I absolutely recognize that this is kind of a shiny object and it is eye candy, if you will. And whether you're intrigued by it because you think I might be cool or you're put off by it, 
either way, it's the thing that causes a little bit of a spark that wants you to engage. I see that, whereas in the past, I saw it as a detractor. I see it as a thing that today allows me to get from zero to connection a lot faster. Let's say you're 18, right? And you want to go back and do what you get into sales. What are you doing? Like if you're starting your career over, right? Or not over, I'm just saying 18 because all your experience is extremely beneficial for you. But you're, you turn 18, what are you doing? Like how are you getting into where you are the quickest way or the best way? I think before there's anything else, before there's anything else, it's commitment, there's discipline. Number one, start off with what do you want the end of the book to look like? What's that final paragraph before you write the words, the end? And work backwards from there. And have the awareness to recognize that you're not going to start your book on chapter 10. Just like a book has storyline and character development, you need to recognize that there's a storyline and there's character development here as well. But what I would say is just have the discipline to stand firm in whatever your goal and your vision is. And have the discipline to have blinders on. Have the discipline to not look to your left and not look to your right to look at what the other guy or the other gal is doing and just march forward within your framework. Listen, there's a lot of strategies out there in the online space that tell you how to build a business and how to do this and how to do that. What I will tell you is, yes, those strategies, um, those books, those courses and all those things are great, but the best, the most amazing teacher and sage you will ever have is the one that's within. So regardless of what he or she may be doing, I would say stand true to what it is you believe in and stand true to your action plan, whatever that is, regardless if someone says it's right or wrong, because here's the reality of things. The secret sauce in life is that every plan is the right plan. It just needs to be your plan. Oh, I like that. So how would someone sort of get in contact with you? Was LinkedIn a good way to sort of reach out to you? Yeah, LinkedIn is great. I also have the other platform that I use is Instagram as well. So Dylan D.A. Ali is my Instagram handle. I'm also going to recognize in that people consume in different formats. I'll also be launching January 1, a YouTube channel where people can consume a lot of my content, but also use that as an avenue to reach out to me as well. Okay, so I'll have all that in the show notes. I just want to thank you for your time. It's because I actually have a friend who was looking to be, you know, switching to sales. And it's like, I have the perfect episode for you. So thank you so much for your time. We'll keep in touch. Yes, feel free to reach out to him and then go check out his LinkedIn because you have to see the beard and go, you know, check out his YouTube channel, follow his Instagram. But thank you so much for all the great information. I know so many people can benefit and I appreciate you. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And I'm honored to share this time with you today, bro. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information is valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think this show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and we'll go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook, at facebook.com slash no degree inc if you want to personally reach out to me connect or follow me on linkedin at janaid iqbal spelled j-o-n-a-e-d last name i-q-b-a-l until next time no degree no problem no degree.com yeah talk to so me. You got no degree? No problem. No problem.
Any problem, we can solve we them. We got this. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. Growing and knowing, wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah.